It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital, to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature, to the fifth floor. We bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Well, Lohan, thanks for tuning in here to Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise. And we are live this morning, of course, on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. And this morning, morning we are reflecting back on this last legislative session, the accomplishments made, and maybe some of the misfires or miscues and misopportunities, uh, as well as trying to get a better gauge of how the governor's first administration and year in office did. Yeah, it's very interesting. And to break it all down for us today, we have two political powerhouses. We're so lucky to be joined by UH professors and political analysts, Neil Milner and Colin Moore. Uh, let's bring them in now. Gentlemen, good morning. Thanks for being here. Great Welcome. to be here. Uh, Colin, I want to start with you. And I got to say, as someone who tracks this, obviously not as closely as you and Neil, but you know, I do pay some attention. I am very confused as to what all happened uh, in the last week, especially on those last two days. Uh, what's your takeaway? How, how did things go? Sure, it, it was very confusing. I mean, there's always this flurry of activity at the end of any legislative session. You know, about half of the bills that ultimately get passed are worked out, um, you know, at the very end of conference. And I think this time, even some legislators were unclear on what exactly they voted for. Um, you saw some... Um, opposition votes to the final state budget and some confusion about uh, $200 million that was granted to the governor. Um, also um, some confusion over how much money was appropriated to DOE and UH. I've talked to some legislators about that and, and the 200 million for, for example, um, really is a more restrictive amount of funding than originally uh, was proposed in the budget bill. Um, you know, there, there's a fair number of safeguards, but this will give the governor a little bit of flexibility, but actually it's less than there was originally. And for DOE funding, it really depends on how you look at, at the money, um, whether or not you're counting in and, and taking um, into account those collective bargaining increases for, for teachers. Um, uh, and, and that affects whether or not you think the DOE got a big boost. But Overall, big picture, um, you know, I think Governor Green did very well. A lot of his priorities were passed. I think it was sort of a mixed bag around ethics. Um, and we can break down some of the more specific provisions. But, you know, I think this was a pretty typical session. It, what, there wasn't anything revolutionary done, but there was some good work, particularly around uh, granting more tax relief for working families. Neil, I want to get your take on just the how you would grade or just overall assess this past legislative session. A lot of new members also, uh, this would be this is their first time going through this legislative process as a whole. How do you think things went? Well, I agree with Colin. Big picture is it went pretty well. And all of the concern that people had about the legislature and all its motives about whether it liked Josh Green or didn't like Josh Green. It turned out that he handled the whole process pretty well by not making all that big a fuss about his losses early on. And he got, and I think he understood that on the tax reform plan, which was pretty comprehensive, that he wasn't going to get all of it. But I think he did pretty well. I think the smaller picture, there certainly was an undercurrent of not knowing what was going on or being disappointed what was going on. The way I see it, there are two things that you can look at. One is cabal and the other is chaos. 
there were certainly things that disappeared because important members of the legislature just said, we're not even going to consider them the committee chairs. And that was true on some of the ethic reform. Some of the chaos to me was really pretty significant because you usually don't have a, a number of legislators saying, we don't know what went on. I mean, sometimes you say that in anger in the sense of we got shafted at the end. But it appears as if there was so much confusion at the end and so much energy going into the thing that people really lost certain things without knowing why it disappeared. The cesspool one is one of the examples that I was looking at today. So I would say big picture, it went well. Um, it went about what you would expect at a state that had a fair amount of money at its disposal compared to normally. But there were these undercurrents here of anger and disappointment and confusion, I think that were a little bit more significant and, and loud than they have been in the past. Interesting. And, and Neil, let's stick with you for a second and talk about some of the specifics. Let's start with HTA, uh, where that all shook out, the legislature giving no, uh, you know, allocating no funding to the agency, but at the same time, giving the governor that $200 million to do with what he will, with, of course, some provisions of oversight. Uh, you know, what, what are we expecting to happen to HTA, given all that went on? Uh, stumbling on, I guess. I don't see, they have no long-term mission anymore. They have no, uh, they don't have significant support to say we're going to continue. And I think this is just kind of a blood transfusion in the meantime. It's interesting that a legislature or that legislatures uh, who normally jealously guard um, their prerogatives and who during the EGA administration got uh, a bit upset about all the emergency powers and discretion that he had, just sort of gave the governor the, I'm waggling my fingers here, opportunity to figure out how to keep HTA going. And I think what that really reflects is not so much a confidence in the governor, but not coming to a point at the end of the session when they were either unwilling or unable to take the next step, which appeared to be getting rid of HTA. So I guess limbo is the best way to describe it, but it's it's a limbo in the absence of limb. Uh, you're not sure what's going to happen here. And Colin, just to expand more on HTA, I mean, when you look at some of the proposals that were being put forward uh, about potentially moving this under DBED or providing some funding in that way uh, to what ended up at the result, uh, you know, we've heard from hospitality officials that we've talked to on this program who have made a very strong case as to why they say HTA is needed, uh, yet there didn't seem to be that agreement by lawmakers this session. Uh, just playing off of what Neil says, what is the future of HTA and, and how do you think this navigates in the off session? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, th at the end of the session, they basically decided not to decide anything about HTA. There were two competing proposals to really transform it into what's known as a destination management agency that takes a more holistic view of tourism. One of those would be um, inside DBED. Um, but what confused me this whole session is neither of those bills, although they slowly advanced, really got the sort of vigorous hearing you would expect. The legislature didn't uh, really coalesce around one of those proposals. And at the end of the day, of course, nothing happened. I think the irony here is that despite the fact that HTA um, has a bad reputation, they've pivoted uh, really dramatically over the last few years into this destination management um, uh, mode. 
Um, but they're still struggling, I think, to get legislative support. I think, ironically, HTA, marketing agency, really suffers from having a, a bad brand, despite the fact that I think they're trying to do uh, what people want them to do, which is to um, you know, uh, 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 market Hawaii in a way that attracts respectful tourists, um, people who are really willing to respect and invest in this place. And without HDI, I really, I, I really am concerned because the hotel industry doesn't have any incentive to really listen to citizens to understand how they want tourism to re reform. They, they want to get people staying in their hotels. So HDA really is the voice of the people and perhaps it needs to be reformed, but I think eliminating HDA would be a real mistake. So I was disappointed that there wasn't a more serious conversation about where we want it to go. And, and maybe what that means is we need a real study around tourism governance, um, you know, a more careful look at, at what should the, what the reform should be. I'd Let love me for just you add, oh, please go ahead. Can I just add one thing real fast? Destination management is an awesome term in two ways. It's awesome in the extent to which it, the amount of time it tends to pivot really. It's awesome also in the sense that it's a term that's so vague that lots of people fill it in different ways. And I think part of the problem with the legislature dealing with HTA is that there are very different visions about what that means and there are very different timelines about how fast it should happen. I'd like you to both reflect on this $200 million because this is new and, and as Neil pointed out, um, we went from having a, a legislature that said, we want to take back all of the governor's emergency powers. We don't want any of that. And now here they are giving him $200 million. There is some oversight. Colin, let's start with you on, um, you know, just explaining to people what this fund is and how you expect it to be used. Okay. So I don't think, I mean, we shouldn't refer to this as a slush fund. Governors often propose in their budget drafts uh, that they would have the ability to transfer funds within any department for operating purposes. Um, the, what ended up happening was that the legislature restricted it to $200 million of general funds that the governor could appropriate to state agencies, but he has to report to the legislature within 14 days. So the governor can't do, I mean, he can move this money, but he's accountable to the legislature. And this from what some legislators tell me, this is less money than was proposed initially um, that would, would have given the governor power to move lump sums within agencies uh, um, as he saw fit. So depending on who you talk to, uh, this is either a, a, a slush fund or it's a more restrictive grant um, that gives the governor some, restrict, um, some flexibility in it. And I believe that the second is a more accurate interpretation of what's going on. Neil, what are your thoughts? I also agree that uh, it's not a slush fund, but I think there are two significant areas where they did it, which is kind of interesting to me. One of which is we've talked about already, which is the tourism authority. Essentially, the legislature there, I think, just ran out of time and out of ideas and were willing to essentially dump the problem on the governor and say, use some of your resources. I think the other place that I've seen it mentioned as, oh, the governor can use the money to do this has to do with um, with higher education, especially. And that's a, the legislatures do, in fact, do what Colin said. They do it very often. Uh, executives have a lot of uh, have a lot of discretion generally and funds to do it. But it's significant here that two problems uh, that were there was an undercurrent of conflict and an undercurrent of uh, disagreement finally said, well, let's see how the governor can, can respond to it. But the fact that 
they're willing to let the governor do this does show a certain level of trust. I want to go back to just the chaos that we saw in the last few days of the legislature and, and during conferencing sessions and, and during this conferencing time, I should say, uh, there is just a lot of negotiation. There is a lot of running around. You see aides running everywhere, lawmakers being pulled from one room to the next. Uh, as someone who has worked in that environment before, I know how crazy it gets. Uh, but this year seemed to be uh, beyond what we normally would see in a normal final days uh, of the legislative session. Uh, Neil, we'll start off with you. How do you think uh, we best resolve this? Because as we say, you know, you go through this entire legislative process through months and months of testimony and arguments and hearing these bills through uh, to sometimes within the final minutes of session, things just being thrown together uh, almost haphazardly. How do you think lawmakers and the legislative body as a whole can avoid these types of situations moving forward? Well, one way would be if you had a longer session. It just seems crazy to me that, uh, uh, I mean, there, that's not necessarily easy to do, but a longer session might give some time. It's an enormous amount of work that has to be done in a short period of time. The legislature can look at some of its other uh, processes to see what it can do. But I think this one was significant in the sense of how much it emphasized chaos and simply not knowing what was going on at the last minute, rather than the usual explanation, which emphasizes the fact that a put, uh, some very influential committee chairs were able to put the screws into some kind of a building. But I don't, I mean, every year we say the same thing. It certainly is the case. There's always gonna be a lot of last minute uh, shuffling around, but this one just seemed out of control. <laughs> the picture of those people all presumably locked in the room, uh, trying to pass papers around. It looked like what the stock market must have looked like the day that it crashed in 19, whatever, 29. Uh, it's just, it's unseemly and it's not very efficient. And I give them credit for trying to do it, but man alive. Uh, Colin, I want to get also your take on this. And just also to add upon that, how much do you think having different personalities in some of these uh, leadership roles played. Of course, we are used to seeing Sylvia Luke uh, chairing the finance and, and she's had this longtime partnership uh, with, uh, you know, her counterpart in the Senate in Dela Cruz. Do you think that having Kyle Yamashita in this role or the changing of that leadership played at all into what we saw here? I think partially. I mean, there were more new legislators this session, and we have a new finance chair, like you said, Kyle Yamashita. I mean, and if anyone following in Sylvia Luke's uh, footsteps is, is going to have a tough time. I mean, uh, everyone agreed that Sylvia Luke was a master of the state budget um, and could organize it and understand it um, and represent her members in a way that I think really uh, she was uniquely able to do. And, and of course, this is Kyle Yamashita's first time at bat. So that, that may have contributed uh, to the confusion to some degree. Um, but I entirely agree with Neil. Um, and, uh, you know, what, where I get concerned is where mistakes start to be made. I mean, any, you know, deadlines can be effective in pushing people to make decisions. All legislatures have deadlines. Um, but this time, and I can't remember so many times in the past where it really seemed that folks were genuinely confused. This wasn't just political rhetoric or an excuse. Um, and it really did seem like some bills that most people thought were good bills just didn't end up getting passed because of a lack of time. And, and that's not really a good way to make public policy. I mean, let's reform the process. We don't have to have this very restrictive legislative period. We could expand it. 
Uh, we could have regular meetings throughout the year. We could move to a true full-time legislature. That may be the direction we want to think about moving because I think if we get too many more sessions like this, it, it just doesn't serve anyone's interest. I don't think it helps legislators. I don't think it helps the public. Um, it, it's not clear to me who exactly is being served by having such a restrictive legislative session. Yeah, Colin, to that end, uh, the governor in an interview with another news organization did say there's around a 20% chance that he would call the legislature back into session to resolve some of these issues, specifically around education, because there does seem to be uh, very differing viewpoints. Della Albaladi uh, speaking very strongly, saying that she was disappointed uh, with what happened to higher education and 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 uh, lower education as well, uh, and then also you know the education chair Woodson uh, just expressing a lot of uh, grief over what had happened and saying that it's impossible to cut you know around five percent in the budget for education, um, and 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 both of those lawmakers really reflecting at a time that we have a budget surplus to see cuts edu in education, although. You know, Michelle Kadani saying it's not a cut. So there's a lot of disagreement right. as to whether or not education was cut, as you noted off the top. But uh, what do you think about the idea of calling these folks back to iron some of this out? Well, you know, the, the governor would expend a lot of political capital, I think. I think if he does that um, on this issue where there does seem to be genuine confusion about about the final result. Um, you know, I think this is I would actually be surprised if he calls the legislature back over this issue, particularly because he does have some discretionary funds uh, to move a bit of money around. Um, I'm not sure that's where that, that that's how the governor wants to use his political capital right now, because he's coming off a pretty successful legislative session, one where he worked, I think, pretty well with a lot of the legislative leadership. Um, and I think this, you know, this really would come across as questioning their their authority. So. I, I don't expect him to do that. Neil, I want to ask you, playing off of what Colin just said about uh, the governor's success this session, uh, how do you think the governor did overall, uh, considering also we saw a, a number of his appointees uh, for his uh, to lead his departments uh, get rejected by the Senate, and there was just uh, early on or midway through the Senate, as those confirmation hearings were going through, um, some comments made publicly about the governor's uh, disapproval of the way that the Senate uh, was handling some of his nominees. Uh, overall, how do you think the governor fared with regards to his agenda, but also just overall his dynamics and working relationship with lawmakers this session? I think he fared pretty well. And I think there was uh, too much attention paid to the uh, appointments that didn't get approved. And, and if you look at how the governor handled that, he was pretty careful when he was critical to talk about the nature of the language that was used. He didn't raise big policy issues. He kept the temperature down a fair amount and he moved on. So I think from the standpoint of the governor's relationship with the legislature, all of the usual concerns about how does an ex-legislator become governor and then are people who are in the legislature jealous of him or of his power or her of her her power i think it turned out not to be very much because the green is is, is at the same time he's very um optimistic about getting big things he also is very careful to understand when he couldn't get everything and i think that's partly what he did here so i think he did I think he did pretty well. There doesn't seem to be a lot of antagonism that became public about any of this kind of stuff. And he's been very careful to be to say that he's OK with the legislature. 
you know, Neil, one of the things he didn't get was the green fee. And this, of course, is something that he ran on. Uh, it was really a lot of tax reform that he promised and uh, charging a visitor impact fee to benefit the environment. He did get, I believe, $100 million to go toward environment, the environment in, in this budget. So it's not that, you know, that, that's a significant amount of money and, and is aligned with those priorities. But the green fee itself didn't pass. Uh, this conversation's not over. But how 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 do you think that that all went? And and do you see the green fee coming back next session? Okay, I'm I'm just going to imagine and put myself in the governor's mind. The green fee, I think he may have reacted by saying, "Why didn't they do it? It's so simple and straightforward." Uh, and that one may be the most frustrating. I think the other ones, tax reform and so on. I think. Um, I think he he probably is less upset by them. I you know so much of what the governor is talking about in his policies really is a long game, even though he doesn't always talk about it as being a long game. And when you're doing the kinds of even the kinds of environmental changes that he wants to do, the legislatures never really work with big pieces at one time the way we would like to have them work at times. If you want one quick example, we can talk about it more later. It's Stanley Chang's um, every year pushes this very different way to finance uh, affordable housing. And he's gradually, gradually got something, well, first nothing, now something. And then he gets something in the bill that I'm pretty sure the governor likes, which is to, to use the state land as a leasehold to, to uh, going with housing, but all it is now is a study group uh, about how the feasibility of it, and it'll be more later on. But long story short, I, I think he, he did okay. Um, he got the essence of most of the things he wanted. Green fees, it's a simple thing, but for some reason it, people didn't want it. Colin, what do you think? Is the green fee dead or are we going to see this again? Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's definitely back. I mean, the polling shows that two thirds of Hawaii voters support it. Um, I think there was confusion. I mean, again, to go back to the theme of this session, there was sort of chaos and confusion at the end in conference about how it could be implemented. Uh, but there's a lot of support behind this public support, the governor, the legislature. It'll, it'll be back next session. But, you know, again, this, I think, illustrates also just the caution of our state representatives. Although this is a democratic state, you know, new ideas take a while to filter through, you know, ideas that might be difficult to implement like the green fee, um, you know, things that seem a little bit scary like the public financing of elections. Uh, they're just not really willing to embrace radical proposals or even really new proposals, even if they've been tried in other states. Um, you know, they want, they want to hear it a few times. And I think, you know, with the green fee in some ways, the chaos at the end of the session became an excuse just to, to let it go and say, well, well, we'll take it up again next year. Well, as we head into this off session, one thing that sometimes happens during this time is the shifting of power. Uh, and we saw during this, uh, this past legislative session, uh, a lot of public uh, information was leaked about just the dynamics between personalities in the Senate, uh, between some members disagreeing with leadership and the, those in power, uh, often accusing them of uh, playing their own agenda and controlling members uh, within the Senate. Uh, Colin, how much do you think there could be any shakeup in leadership, specifically around uh, the Ways and Means Committee uh, and, and the role of Donovan De La Cruz? Uh, we've heard just a lot of just the um, uproar that happened between some of these senators of, about some of these positions, as well as some of the policy. Uh, do you think that there is any chance that there could be a shakeup in leadership moving forward? 
I don't. I mean, I think that Senator Dela Cruz is pretty safe as, as uh, chair of ways and means. I suspect that Kyle Yamashita is chair, safe as chair of finance um, and as are the, the speaker and Senate president. I mean, this was surprising because we usually get so little of you know, dissent filtering its way into the public. And this time we got a little bit, um, particularly around some of the fights over the governor's appointments um, and of course, here at the end of the session, complaints about the, the final budget, I mean, leading even to some veteran lawmakers like Della Avalotti uh, 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 protesting. But I think the leadership is pretty safe. I mean, they still manage to understand what their members want in, in their chamber um, and, and, and secure those benefits. I mean, some of this is uh, frustrations between the House and the Senate. But remember, of course, House members don't decide who chairs uh, Senate Ways and Means and vice versa. So there's a lot of interbranch conflict and we've seen that in the past. I think there is genuine frustration uh, between the House and the Senate, um, but I don't see any danger of folks in leadership actually losing their positions. I mean, those complaints have been relatively isolated. And Neil, just your your thoughts on on just the the makeup of what happened this session, some of the, uh, you know, the disagreements that were brought to the public session. Well, I agree with Colin. I don't see any change. It's really difficult to change. And no one has really emerged as any kind of leader of a faction that's big enough to affect this kind of thing. I think one of the things that shows how hard it is to change is how much anger exploded at the last minute. Della Bellotti and some of the others, and uh, you didn't hear much about that earlier on. Uh, because it's hard to organize the anger earlier on into some kind of policy thing. So I think it's, I, I agree with, I guess all in all, I agree with Colin. Um, and it's, and you also have to remember how much power a committee chair has and how unwilling they are to, to give it up. Well, we are almost out of time, but I'd love to get a final thought from each of you about what's next for the governor. He has his cabinet basically in place. Uh, he has this $200 million and he has now a budget to work with. Are you expecting any vetoes to come? Uh, and, and, and what are you expecting in the sort of off season, if you will, for the governor? Neil, let's start with you. Well, I would hope there would be some details. Uh, they... The, to me, the most important part of, of the offseason, and I've been thinking about writing about this, is the when question. The question is, when will these things happen that you've allocated money for? When will these things happen where you're changing procedures? We're notoriously not very good at that. So I think that the first question you have to ask short term is, OK, you have these things in place. You have the you have some funding for some innovative funding for education money for affordable housing for teachers and so on. What's going to happen? How's that going to, how's that going to take place? I think that the, it's, I don't think any of the issues that we dealt with here um, in the legislature, even when they did very good work, is the end of any of those issues. It's going to be more and more of the same thing. It's going to be more of tourism and, and everything else. And I don't think there's going to be any kind of game changer just, just continuing to plow on. And I think the governor is likely to do this the way he does everything else, keeping trying to keep the morale high, use the bully pulpit a little bit. Um, and I, but I think, I, I think it's going to be this. None of these issues have been solved. None of them are close to being solved because you can't solve them that quickly. So we're going to be tinkering and watching and monitoring. And I hope that's what happens because that's what has to happen 
for good legislation to become good public policy. And, and Colin, your final thoughts this morning. Now we're going to get to see Governor Green actually govern. I mean, he's been sharing the spotlight with the legislature ever since he entered office. Um, but the governor's big advantage is, it, is he's in charge for most of the year, except for that brief period of time when the legislature is in session. So he's going to be get the credit, but also a lot of the blame for whatever crises, uh, you know, uh, happen uh, uh, during the next few months. And so I think we'll get a better sense of his style of leadership because he's going to be the only one in the spotlight moving forward. But I, I agree with Neil. I mean, I expect that coming off a very strong legislative session, he's going to be emphasizing a lot of his accomplishments. And I think the tax relief for working families, uh, you're going to see him talk a lot about that because I think that's going to make a big difference for a lot of folks. Okay, Colin Moore, Neil Milner, thank you for sharing the spotlight with us this morning <laughs> uh, and sharing your insights into all that's happened in the legislative session. We always appreciate, you, you know, Yanji and I are both political junkies. We love this, uh, this stuff. So we always enjoy having you on and, and having these discussions. Thank you so much. We look forward to future conversations. Always thank a you. pleasure. Aloha. Thank you. Well, you're right, Ryan. I mean, I was reading so many of the, the hot takes, if you will, on what happened last week. And I encourage uh, our viewers to go back and read the articles by Dan Nicasso and Andrew Gomes in the Honolulu Star Advertiser, just to explain what all happened, you know, the theme of today's conversation, and it feels like for this legislature is chaos and a bit of confusion with lawmakers not really knowing what was up or down toward the end. And will there be any steps taken to kind of calm that process? Uh, we'll have to see both, uh, you know, Colin and uh, Neil have talked about perhaps having a longer session, maybe a full around the year, you know, year round session to change this dynamic, because it is such a a, a short period of time to get so much done. Yeah, and especially just for giving context to those who don't maybe understand that process. I mean, be, going into that conference and session, uh, you are essentially just delaying and uh, uh, having these meetings to try to find common ground and just pushing things down until you get that one quorum and agreement uh, on an issue. And oftentimes towards the end there, as the deadline is looming, uh, you know, these lawmakers are being pulled in multiple rooms, being flown up and down uh, the stairs at the Capitol. And to consolidate all of them into one room uh, really made things difficult because so much needed to be done. And yet there weren't all lawmakers present in the room for some of those key decisions. And oftentimes things got confusing uh, when bills were being brought up and not really understanding what changed uh, and what draft they were on based on uh, all the different committee reports that also needed to be filed and, and, and updates that needed to be made. Uh, and so condensing all that into a few hours often leads to confusion and mistakes. And that's where uh, some of these committee reports have to be thoroughly looked through. And we may see some of these things have to end up going uh, and getting vetoed by the governor because there may have been clerical errors that have happened towards the end there. So a longer legislative session would allow for more opportunities to uh, really have this conversation and not necessarily feel everything rush towards the end there. But interesting to note, uh, you heard Neil just talk about how there is just a very different uh, opinion that maybe the lawmakers have of the Green administration, essentially giving the governor $200 million to really work with some of the things that he thinks needs to be done. Uh, whereas in the prior administration, uh, they really look to take back some of the powers that Governor Ige had and his authority overall. Uh, so we saw a little bit of a shift there in this dynamic.
Yeah, and we still don't know what's going to happen to the Hawaii Tourism Authority, the legislature not funding that agency, but as you note, giving the governor uh, $200 million to work with, and we expect that some of that money will go to keeping HTA alive. Uh, also, some of that money could go to Aloha Stadium, so that's another issue that the governor will have to contend with. And, and what Neil said there at the end I thought was really critical about timelines, right? When are we actually going to see these things implemented? Uh, when will the rubber hit the road? We are going to be tracking all of that for you. Um, but interesting to know also that both of our, our political analysts this morning thought that the governor did relatively well, that he got a lot of the tax cuts that he was hoping for um, and that the green fees not dead. He got a lot of you know millions of dollars for his Kauhale initiatives, which we are expecting to be talking a lot about over the next few months. That is uh, how he hopes to address some of the homeless issue in our communities. So um, overall, they thought that the governor did pretty well. We will talk to the governor himself later on this month and get his assessment uh, on Wednesday, we're shifting our focus back to city politics, heading over to Honolulu Hale. Yeah, and the discussion over the city budget, as well as the dynamics between the council and the mayor, as well as getting updates on some of the major projects and initiatives that the mayor uh, continues to work on and push forward. We always uh, say it could be an hour-long conversation with the, uh, the mayor <laughs> because of the amount of topics and uh, the things that the mayor often likes to talk about on this show. Uh, but we're limiting it to a half an hour. But we hope that you'll join us for that conversation on Wednesday here in Spotlight Hawaii at 10.30 on Wednesday. We'll see you then. Aloha. Aloha.